Listen up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Louisville Urban League's radio show and podcast. My name is Lyndon Pryor, President and CEO of the Louisville Urban League. It is my honor and privilege to join you again this week. Um, remember that you can join us here uh, live on the radio on WLLV 101.9 FM, 1240 AM on Thursdays from 12 to 1230. Or you can find us anytime, wherever you find your favorite podcast be sure to subscribe rate us review us let us know what you think about the show i hope that you have had a truly um safe and fun week as we are beginning to close out the summer school is near and so i hope that you are enjoying these last um few days a uh, few weeks of, of summertime enjoying the kids getting away taking some time to yourselves um, finding some peace um, and whatever it is that you need to to recharge refresh um, and be your best self and live your best life but um, it has been a busy summer for me and for us here at the league but it has also been uh, a great one um, we've gotten to do a whole lot of stuff and we're looking forward to some things that we've got coming up here uh, in the fall and we're going to talk a little bit about that today um, this show is going to be uh, a little different in that it is we don't have a, a special guest well, that's not well we don't have a special guest um, with us like we normally do this week um, so it is just me and Sherilyn Martin, who is our marketing manager, our fantastic, fabulous marketing manager here um, at the league. And so she is who normally produces the show for us um, and does just a, an amazing job. Um, but she oftentimes, well, she never speaks um, on the pod, and that's not because I don't want her to. It is because she says it makes her nervous. But today, um, I've used executive privilege and told her she had to put a mic in front of her. So say hi to the people, Sherilyn. Hello, oh, people. Yeah. Awesome. It doesn't make me nervous. I don't like the sound of my voice. There's a difference there. Okay. Well, it sounds kind of the same, but <laughs> that's, that's fine. Um, and so, you know, so she's here. Uh, and may you may hear her a little bit during the show today, but I just I, I, I don't do a, a good job of thanking her every week um, for the work that she puts into this podcast, uh, not just helping us to find guests and, and schedule those guests, but also, um, you know, recording the show, getting it edited and getting it up online for everybody to hear and so thank you ma'am for all of the wonderful work that you do and also shout out to Peggy Bennett who is my executive assistant who helps um, with her in terms of coordinating my schedule and making sure that um, everything is in place so that we can bring this show to you all every week um, and so yeah so this week is a little different um, just another solo uh, podcast and just an opportunity for me to talk a little bit about some of the things that have been going on in the news and around our city um, and just share um, just a little bit of my perspective and, and where we hope to go um, from there. And so first, uh, you know, I wanted to um, speak to the recent Supreme Court 
rulings, um, particularly the one around affirmative action. Um, as you all know, a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago now, um, the Supreme Court essentially ruled that um, affirmative action in higher education um, or college admissions processes was no longer necessary or valid according to the majority opinion. Um, and there was, of course, strong dissents um, from the few judges, the three judges um, who disagreed with that ruling. Um, but that sent, um, you know, particularly higher education circles, um, but others kind of sent the world into a bit of a tailspin. I think this was a ruling that most people anticipated was going to happen. We figured that it was going this way, um, given the makeup of the court. But nonetheless, I think there was still uh, a glimmer of, of hope that people were holding out that maybe um, they weren't going to do that. And so I'll say this about that, that ruling. One, I wasn't, I wasn't terribly surprised. It doesn't mean, though, that um, I wasn't disappointed in it. Um, but in that, it's not something that I um, have been so concerned about that, you know, that it sent me into this place of, of despair. Um, because my background, as many of you know, and I've shared on this pod before, is in higher education. I've done many, many years working on uh, college campuses, and so I'm fairly familiar um, <clears throat> with the admissions process and how that all works and how that all came about when schools really started to use race in the admissions processes in order to better diversify their campuses. And there are a couple things that I want to say about that. One is um, for the uninformed, there is oftentimes this misnomer that affirmative action was used um, essentially to allow unqualified people into schools. And that's simply not true, right? Like that just really hasn't been the case. And there are very few examples that you would ever find where that was actually true, particularly in present day times. Um, you may have to go all the way back to the very um, start of when affirmative action was being widely used that you may have found more cases than that. But even then, it was rare. Um, and certainly now, it's almost not uh, the case at all. Uh, the students who are admitted in which um, race may be used uh, as a factor to allow them admission um, or grant them admission into institutions, by and large, are well qualified and at times even overqualified to be able to attend these schools. They have all of the requisite grades, um, grade point averages, um, service, and all of that sort of stuff that they need to enter the school. The reason why schools were using this um, or, or started to use race as a factor is because they recognized that there was a great deal of bias present in their admissions processes and specifically among their admissions officers. And so schools were not actively going into places where black people and other brown and marginalized people were typically to recruit them. And so they weren't even finding kids um, who were qualified, who did not 
uh, tend to to be white or whatever um, uh, majority race or ethnicity that that school tended to tended to admit, um, and so using race as a as a factor in admissions was a way to kind of catapult people into the pool. So that's one part, is that they weren't actively doing their job. And so race became a way for them to start to do it. But the other thing in that is, um, for a lot of those, those individuals, um, it became a matter of how do we fund um, individuals for particularly lower socioeconomic uh, demographics and be able to get them into school because as most people know um, college is not cheap and so another huge part of this was the fact that a lot of the black and brown people uh, who were applying to these schools even if accepted were not attending because um, they could not afford to go to these schools. So that became its own issue. And so race became more of a factor, not just in the actual admissions process, but it also became a way um, to be able to figure out um, how we could get uh, funding to those demographics that typically uh, were not able to afford to get into the school process. All that to say that race as a factor um, was just that. It was one of many factors that has been used in order to grant people admissions into schools. And that should not be um, a problem or a concern uh, because honestly it is a factor that has oftentimes kept students out of schools. Uh, mm -hmm. We have seen this in lots of different places. There have been tons of studies done, uh, particularly in the workforce, sectors where um, people's names um, on an application uh, have been things that have deterred people or kept people from getting jobs. The same thing was happening in college uh, admissions. Their zip code or location, what part of a, um, uh, of a particular city or state they came from has been a deterrent because um, somebody reviewing that application would see and say like, oh, okay, well, we know that mostly these types of people come from those places or they come out of this high school in the case of college admissions. And those things were deterrents. And so um, we know that race has often been used explicitly as well as implicitly as a means to keep students out of college. And so it was only right to at some point decide that we're going to use race as a factor to keep people in. Um, so that is that, right? Like just understanding off top that it is a factor and justifiably so. But I think it is really important to underscore the fact that it, it was used in a lot of these institutions largely because they recognize the flaws in their own system. <clears throat> to that end, Part of the reason why I'm not pushed into despair is because what I've seen across the higher education landscape over the last um, couple decades or more is that schools have actually started to become very intentional about how they do their admissions process. They have started to address 
the systemic issues with their admissions processes to better include other racial demographics. And so they actually go out and recruit black students, whereas before they did not. Um, they are being intentional about what are the other barriers that may be keeping um, students out of their institutions. They are addressing things like financial aid. They are addressing things like campus culture to be able to make sure that the campuses are um, ready and able to accept uh, students from diverse backgrounds. And so they have begun to do the work necessary so that the process in the system is exactly what it should have been from the very beginning. And so as long as they continue to do that work, which is um, not not, which is not necessarily connected to um, affirmative action, as long as they continue to do that work, then they will be successful at continuing to recruit and enroll uh, black students and other students uh, from various backgrounds and demographics. And so they just have to have the courage to continue to do so with or without um, affirmative action as a, as a policy option, they should still be able to be successful. Now, again, I'm not saying that it should have gone away. Um, I, I, I wanna make sure that I'm very clear about that because we still absolutely need it and not every institution has done the work that they need to do um, and it can be a benefit. However, I do wanna highlight the fact that it can get better um, even in spite of uh, this, this Supreme Court room. The other thing that I want to highlight about the um, affirmative action uh, ruling and, and to talk about this is this mythology around um, merit-based admission, admissions into schools. Um, I think that is another big part of the, the narrative here, and I think that was cited in some of the majority opinion um, from, from the case that somehow you know, affirmative action does an injustice or invalidates this idea that you have merit-based uh, admissions to, to college and institutions of higher education. Let's be perfectly clear. There's never been um, a merit-based uh, admissions policy to, to colleges and universities. It doesn't exist. Um, there has always been a correlation to a whole host of other things, whether that be legacy, i.e. Mm -hmm. I had parents or my aunts or my uncle or my grandparents attended this school. Um, that has been a factor, and it is still a factor um, in terms of admissions into school. Um, economics has always been a huge factor. If you look at just about any public institution, and certainly most of the private ones, Go and look at where um, most of those students uh, fall uh, economically. They are all typically going to be in the same bracket with very few exceptions. And so that has uh, a, a matter, um, that has always been a factor in that. Whether or not uh, your parents have been donors um, or contributors to the universe. So even if you didn't attend, but if my uncle's name is on a building somewhere, the impact that that has on somebody's ability to get ad, uh, admitted to an institution, all of these things 
have been factors and remain factors in the college admissions process. And so this has never been something that was simply about merit and whether or not you were quote unquote good enough or smart enough um, to, to attend a particular school. That's never been the case. And again, it still is not the case. All this ruling did was say that we no longer want to take into account whether or not you black or not. That is all it has done. All of these other factors, which tend to skew primarily towards white students, are still in place and will continue to be in place. And so we need to get rid of this idea that somehow merit or academic merit uh, is a factor in how we um, admit kids to schools because it simply is not true. Um, and to be very honest, it really shouldn't be. Um, not that I believe that legacy admissions make sense. I think we could do away with those altogether. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's somewhat nonsensical. Um, but the other types of things in terms of, um, you know, service uh, being a big factor. Many of you probably remember having to talk about what kind of community service um, you did in schools. Um, the, the type of ethic you had towards your community, those types of things, those are also factors um, in terms of whether or not kids get into particular schools. And I think those things are important because we should be promoting service. We should be promoting kids who have a, an eye towards or compassion towards their community and want to do things that benefit greater society. Like I actually think that those are good things. Um, and so there are always going to be other factors involved in whether or not um, you know somebody is admitted to to an institution or not and so I think that is that is absolutely a, a good and necessary thing but it's never been uh, wholesale about whether or not you had the grades or not that's just simply not what it is um, and what it ever has been and so we've got to get ourselves uh, away from that and just you know start to debunk anybody who suggests that that is what this is about, because it's absolutely not, um, nor has it ever been. Um, but ultimately, right, like this is, this ruling for me and for the Urban League speaks to the need of civic engagement and why voting ultimately matters, right? Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court is a lifetime appointment that is made by the President of the United States. Um, and so, you don't understand how that connects to your individual vote. Um, I, I, just, I just can't really stress enough why that is always going to be important because who you vote for determines ultimately who is going to be able to sit on that bench and ultimately make these types of decisions. And as we see this particular court work to consistently um, erode uh, all of the civil rights gains that we've made over the last several decades um, and, and wither away at uh, the rights of black people, of women, of immigrants, of a whole host of people in favor of the wealthy, in favor of corporate interests, in favor of those who would do harm to our environment. Um, it is crystal clear why um, voting is so critically important at every single level because it is not just that the president appoints those individuals, but they have to be confirmed by the Senate. Mm -hmm. um, and so it becomes that much important who you are voting 
um, as your state senators, all of these things matter. And so we really have to think critically about how we are engaging in this process. And we've talked about on this pod before with different guests about how incredibly low voter turnout is, um, not just in Louisville, but across Kentucky and, and really across the nation, but specifically thinking about Louisville and the state. Um, that's got to change. Uh, we've got to get more people out to the polls. We've got to get people more engaged um, in the civic process because that is how real change is made and that is how real change is sustained. Um, because that's the thing is that we're, we are seeing now that once you let up um, that things can change, that the tables can turn. We've had the Civil Rights Act um, since 1964, but this court um, and this Congress has worked to erode many of those provisions really in less than, in less than 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, they've been able to chip away at a good number of the provisions in there. And that's because we just did not keep our foot on the gas. This is going to be um, something that will be a fight for a lifetime. We are going to have to continue uh, to fight for civil rights for all people, for humanity, for dignity, um, for just the constitutional sovereignty of individuals in this country, uh, really for as long as we are here. And so we have to be vigilant and continue to press forward on that. And so uh, if you are not registered to vote, please be sure um, to do so. You can do so online. If you don't want to do so online, come by uh, Louisville Urban League. We will get you a voter registration card um, and get you signed up. But get ready, because this is an election year. Um, we will be electing a governor. Uh, in the fall here in November, and that is going to be critically important for our state uh, as well. And so I can't stress enough um, the need for us to be engaged. And so uh, we're going to continue to be about that work as we move forward. Connected to that and shifting gears just a little bit um, towards locally, um, last week, uh, the mayor announced uh, our that they that he had selected the new police chief, um, and he chose um, Chief Jacqueline Gwynn Villarreal, who had been serving as interim um, since the start of his administration. And um, I wanted to share, you know, from my vantage point, from the league's vantage point. Um, not so much about our new chief. Um, I have had the opportunity to meet with her uh, before this selection was made. She and I have uh, been in meetings together on a couple of occasions, but I, I do not necessarily know her well. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I'm sure that we'll, we'll meet again um, here in the coming weeks, but I don't know what it is that she's going to bring to the job specifically. And so I don't want to talk um, too much about her individually, but I do want to talk about the process. Um, and we have not been uh, silent at all on the fact um, and our disappointment with the complete absence of transparency when it, come, when it came to the 
selection process, the hiring process for um, the new chief of police. We were out front very early along with lots of other people, the mm -hmm. NAACP, the ACLU, um, 490 Project, and, and Vocal, and, and lots and lots of other people around community um, who wanted this to be a very open and transparent process. And what we mean by that, just so that we're clear, um, I, I never intended or, or desired for every person who applied to that job to be named, right? Um, I understand what it is to apply for a job and, and all the things that go with that. Um, and so it didn't necessarily make sense to have all of those people um, identified uh, very early on in the process, because not all of those people were going to make it um, to the, the finalist position. Um, a lot of those people are probably gonna be folks who have jobs and all of that sort of stuff. And so naming them um, wasn't necessary in my view um, or really beneficial to the process. But once you got down to the finalists, right? So whether that is two, three, five people that that committee was looking at very strongly and trying to decide um, who they were going to go with, I absolutely believe um, that those individuals should have been made public. And not only should their names and resumes been made public, but I believe that there should have been an opportunity um, for those individuals to engage with the community directly um, as part of their interview process. Um, that's what I mean. That's what we mean when we talk about an open and transparent process. So here's the deal, right? Like Louisville is in the unenviable place of um, really having some, some, some terrible things that have uh, transpired with our local police department. Um, the DOJ has released a 90-page document with over 60 incidents in it um, where, you know, the rights, the constitutional rights and civil rights of Louisville citizens have been uh, just egregiously violated it includes uh, instances where folks have been assaulted, um, injured, mm -hmm. uh, and harmed in incredible ways. And that's not to even mention the incidents of, or the killings of David McAtee and Breonna Taylor and all of the things um, that went wrong over the course of those two things, right? Um, and so you're talking about decades of misconduct and mistreatment um, of this community, particularly black people in Louisville at the hands of LMPD. Uh, to say that there is an absence of trust uh, for the police department among many uh, in our city, I think is, is a grave understatement. Um, public uh, trust, public uh, belief in uh, those who serve is is abysmally low, right? Like it is it is terrible among those folks. Which is to say that anybody who is going to lead that department, um, one of the things that they are going to have to do is figure out how they're going to rebuild that trust, how they are going to begin to work with community um, to restore 
some of the respect and dignity um, that has been uh, washed away over time for those officers. And so the idea that we would have a process where you would not essentially get to test um, how well somebody is able to engage with the public, to me just seems a bit asinine because that is going to be one of the major things that they have to do. Mm -hmm. It is going to be a huge part of their job. It is not going to just be managing the officers. And yes, that is important too. And that is a big deal. And quite frankly, I would have been fine had you said that they needed to go and have uh, public meetings in front of officers as well. That could have happened uh, because they are going to have to uh, lead those men and women. They are going to have to manage those people. They are going to have to hold them accountable. And so their ability to interact um, with those individuals and and for them, them, those officers to be able to provide feedback, I think is also important, but absolutely, um, they are going to have to do that with the public. Uh, and so it was, it was a complete misstep and mistake um, on the part of the mayor to not have that be part of the process. And I believe in, in the press conference, you know, he talked a little bit about the reasoning why he didn't do that and having to do something with wanting to get you know, the best pool of candidates and that that was the belief that, you know, by keeping the process secretive, that, that somehow uh, that was going to help um, the candidate pool. And, and here's what I said to that, and I've, and I've said this in the media. I think that is an incredibly short-sighted and quite frankly, um, just kind of wrong-headed approach to this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think whether he realizes it or not, he probably has done a greater disservice um, to whoever he was going to select uh, by going down this path Absolutely. Um, than, he, than he realized, right? And so by saying that you were going to uh, essentially uh, keep the process secret, in an effort to be able to protect those who would apply um, so that you could then have a stronger pool. Here's what that says to me. It says that you are willing to prioritize these people, men, women, whoever it is who are applying, these applicants, that you're willing to prioritize their current career status over the needs of the public of this city. Uh -huh. And that just doesn't make any sense to me, right? Like they are interviewing to come and lead um, the police department in Louisville. They're applying to come and serve the people of Louisville. If they are unwilling to address the people of Louisville, if they are unwilling to answer the questions of the people of Louisville, then they weren't a good candidate for us to begin with. That part. And, and so you needed somebody who wants this job. You needed somebody who was willing to have those conversations, who was willing to come in and face the realities of where we are as a city. Someone courageous. 
somebody courageous. Absolutely. And so if they were unwilling to be courageous in the interview, then they certainly weren't going to be courageous in the job. And so I don't know that you, by protecting people, that you were able to even get or at least to really even ascertain who really was about this life. <laughs> like who truly was going to be here um, for all of the right reasons and for all of the right purposes. The other part to this about keeping this thing about keeping this thing secret is in particularly in knowing um, who ultimately was was selected in Chief Gwen is I believe that the mayor has done her a grave disservice uh -huh. because as an internal candidate, what often happens, particularly in these public searches, um, in, in public policy or public, public positions, excuse me, um, what is often thought is when the internal candidate is hired is that, oh, well, it was a sham process, right? Like uh -huh. nobody thought that this was going to be um, real anyway and so that's one part to it right but the other part is is that particularly in this instance you have an individual who has been here for a couple of years and so right or wrong she is saddled with the baggage of everything that lmpd currently is and so that is going to be that was already going to be a hill that she has to climb in doing this work but you didn't give her the opportunity to be compared to other folks. She absolutely may have been the best candidate of the folks that you had, but now nobody knows that. Nobody's able to look objectively and take um, and, and see that for themselves. They are all now relying upon, quite frankly, simply the mayor's word because nobody else, I mean, the, the committee members had to sign NDAs. They can't even talk about it. And so, there's nothing um, that we know about this process and the way it happens that would allow anybody to have an objective opinion that says, like, no, she absolutely was the best candidate. And that is a disservice to her, and I think it is really unfortunate considering all the uh, things that she's got to deal with um, in now stepping into this job full time. Um, and so all of this, um, I just think, was handled uh, incredibly poorly and, and just, again, was a disservice not only to, to the ultimate selection, um, but more than anything, it was a disservice to Louisville and disservice to this community because we deserve um, to have this done out in the open um, under the light of day for everybody to be able to observe and participate in. LMPD does not have, and quite frankly, the city does not have the benefit of the doubt here. There is uh -uh. nothing that they have done or shown us over the years that says like, that we should be able to trust um, their ability to handle this process, um, all the way down to the previous search um, in which this was a similar in which it was a similar situation, the way in which it was handled. And so um, we just deserve better. And, and we need for the city to behave better. The mayor ran on this whole promise of transparency. Yes. And between 
this search in between the FOP negotiations, with the, which have also been done over the cover, under the cover of darkness, um, uh, he is he is not living up um, to those things. And I I can say that here because I've said these things to his face, um, and that is a problem. Now we we're gonna be here with him presumably for the next four years at least, and so. There's always an opportunity to grow, but I, I believe firmly um, in what, you know, Maya Angelou said, which is when people show you who they are, believe them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my words on that are, you know, the mayor is showing us um, in these actions, in the way in which he's conducted this search, in the way in which um, he's handled um, the the FOP negotiations, he is showing us something. So I am inclined to believe um, him uh, when he shows us. And if he intends uh, for me and for uh, the community to believe something different, he is going to have to show something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, it is my sincere hope uh, that he does not because I necessarily have some some specific investment um, in him, but, but because I have an investment in this city um, as a resident, as a community member, um, as a as a leader, uh, I am invested in the growth, in the prosperity, um, in the equity of Louisville, and so I need everybody. Who, are, who is in a position of power and privilege and authority um, to do their best and to act uh, on behalf of all of the people of Louisville. And so I, I, I do hope that he will show us differently. Um, but I can tell you this is, this is not a good start out of the gate. But again, it goes back to us being engaged Um, civically. It is making sure that we show up and we vote and that we then hold people accountable uh, for our vote and for what they said that we have done. And so we have to continue to be diligent and vigilant um, in our dealings as community members um, and being engaged in the process the whole way through. So, um, there are a few other things before we get out of here that I wanted to uh, make sure that folks are aware of. Um, A couple of events that we've got going on that we think are really going to be uh, helpful and beneficial. Um, One is on August 6th, the League is partnering with Derby City Wrestling and Neighborhood Place and others uh, for an event, Backpacks and Body Slams. Yes. Um, If you uh, don't know, we have um, Derby City Wrestling uh, once a month records, tapes their wrestling events over at the Norton Healthcare Sports and Learning Center. Um, And so in the month of August, um, we have partnered to make that event free of charge. but we are doing it with a back-to-school event. So the goal of that event 
is going to make sure, A, we pass out some school supplies, um, you know, for folks who still don't have them, which I should hopefully have them. There are tons of back to school events. Please get out there, make sure your kids have their school supplies. Uh, but we also want to make sure that there are other resources that are available as kids get ready to go back to school. We want to make sure that they are well prepared um, and have everything that they need heading back, um, as well as get people signed up for our intensive tutoring program. So you all have heard many times on this show when we talk about the intensive tutoring program that we have here at the league where we are paying for JCPS students to participate in outside tutoring um, to help them become more proficient in the areas of math and reading as well as uh, for older kids getting ready to take their ACT exams. Um, and so this is an opportunity that is free of charge. Um, we are connecting students to um, Kumon Learning Centers or to our ACT prep um, uh, tutoring services through Equitas Prep. Um, and so folks can come out and get registered. If you have been in our program, um, now's the time for you to get re-registered if you want to continue uh, for, for the next year. But we've got tons of spots that are available, and so you'll be able to come out from beginning at 4 o'clock on the 6th. Um, you can come out and, and get signed up for that as well as see other uh, community resources and services. I think JCPS is going to be out there. Uh, Play Cousins Collective, I believe, is going to be out there hanging out with us and lots of other community resources. It's going to be a great time. Um, there'll be the opportunity to meet some of the wrestlers from um, Derby City Wrestling. They'll be out signing autographs, taking pictures. It's really going to be a fun time. And so, again, you can start coming at 4 um, and some, from 4 to 6, come and check out resources and all of that. And then at 6 p.m., the doors are open for the wrestling match. And then you can go and enjoy the wrestling. If you we're asking people to register in advance, that way we know um, how, many, uh, how many folks to expect uh, for the wrestling match. But you can go to lul.org, and you will see it there, Backpacks and Body Slams, where you can go. There's a link to go and, and register um, for, for your tickets. Um, we'll have plenty of seats, so you don't have to worry about that, but we really want people to show up. It's going to be a whole lot of fun right before school starts, and so we're inviting the whole community to come out. So again, it's August 6th, um, starting at 4 p.m. Uh, is the resource fair. Come sign up for different resources, and then at 6 p.m. Uh, we're gonna go in for the show. And so lots of fun there. Um, if you're interested in being a vendor, um, be sure you can reach out uh, to the league because we will have space uh, for education-related vendors to come out there. This isn't a pop-up for, for black businesses. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. <laughs> but if, you are, um, if you've got some educational resources, things that you want to provide to kids and families, please um, feel free to come and join us. Uh, we'd love to have you there because we, we know that it's going to be a great turnout. Um, and, and we want to make sure we providing as we are providing as many services and resources to community members as humanly possible. So on the black business part, um, the week after that, um, on August 13th, we are going to be having a black business expo. Um, this is going to be put on by our Center for Entrepreneurship here at the League. 
Um, and it's going to be a great time and a real good opportunity for uh, the community to come out and shop um, black small black businesses here in our community. We are looking to have as many as 100 black businesses all there at the Norton Healthcare Sports and Learning Center. Um, so you'll be able to come and shop um, and patronize these businesses um, and see all the great things that they have to offer. It'll be from 12 to 5, free, free of charge to come in. Um, we want you to save your money so that you can spend it with these black businesses. Um, but it's going to be a really great time. And so we really hope that you will show up um, and support these local black businesses uh, as they as they look to, to grow and scale their businesses. If you are a black business and you would like to participate, um, there is a small vendor fee, $25, um, for you to participate. Uh, but you can go to the Louisville Urban League's website to register. There are some restrictions. Not every business, um, not every type of business, let me say, uh, can can participate. But for the most part, um, we, we're inviting just about all businesses to come and participate and join us there. Um, we're also going to be providing for those business owners, for those entrepreneurs, um, some resources and so we're going to have some technical assistance partners some professional development partners um, to be able to share some some much needed information with those business owners so that we can continue to serve you all and make sure that you have what you need to grow and scale your businesses successfully and so that um, will be a really cool opportunity and so we really want as many businesses as possible to get registered and show up and come out and participate with us is going to be a really great time. We're really excited about the work that we've done. Um, I mean, in the last year and a half, our Center for Entrepreneurship, the league, has invest, invested more than half, um, more than uh, more than a million dollars um, in uh, local black-owned businesses. Um, in a whole host of different ways from um, capital investments to technical assistance and, and professional assistance that we've been providing. And so we've been doing the work and we've been able to serve hundreds, and I do mean hundreds, of businesses um, over, over the last Over 400. Year, over 400. Uh, thank you, Sherilyn. Um, that we've been able <laughs> to serve over the last year and a half. And so um, we're doing really remarkable work and not alone. I mean, we've got tons of partners um, who are in this work with us and, and we can't thank them enough for, for all that they provide, but we just want to kind of celebrate. I mean, honestly, that's what this expo is about is to kind of celebrate the growth and success of a lot of our black businesses and we want to see them do um, what, what honestly we're in this for, which is for them to, to make money um, and for them to excel as organizations. And so we're really excited about this and, and really invite the entire community to join us. So again, that's August 13th from 12 uh, to 5 p.m. down at the Norton Healthcare Sports and Learning Center. Um, it's going to be a really phenomenal time. Um, last couple of things, I had the opportunity to um, to go out to the new Norton Healthcare Hospital site in the West End. Um, that project is underway. They've got steel up in the air, um, and it's going to be it's just it's going to be a beautiful building. 
um, and just a great um, addition to uh, to the West End, um, a needed addition to the West End, and and I can't say enough how how excited I am for that project to to come to fruition, and I can't say enough um, how valuable the folks over at Norton Healthcare, Russ Cox, um, who leads that organization, how much they have done to invest in the West End, to invest in this community. Um, and they and they mean it, right? Like they they truly have put their money where their mouth is, um, but they have done it with community participation. Mm-hmm. They've done it with equity at the center, mm-hmm. um, and they have truly done their best to to walk the talk. Um, and so they've been phenomenal partners, and that project is going to be great. And what's really special about that project is we've got graduates of our KY Builds program who are working on that project right now and who will continue to work on that project. So those are folks who have come through our um, six-week construction training program and then who have been able to attach to some of our construction partners and who are working on that job site as well as others around the city. Um, And so that is incredibly meaningful for us to be able to see them uh, have a hand in a project that is being built right here in their backyard and in their community, and and we talked to I talked to um, Houston Briscoe, who spoke, um, one of our graduates who spoke at the at the press event um, the other day, and and you know and he just he really was beaming um, at the opportunity that he has in front of him, and we've got several others. Um, who who are doing the same, and so it is a great um, project, um, but it is great for us to be involved in it. Even though um, obviously Goodwill and Norton um, are are really putting that project together and, and doing the development, but it is still amazing for the league to be involved by making sure that we are supplying some of the work that is that is going into it and so it's really exciting and and we hope that that you all as community members are are proud and excited for that project as well and so with that um i think i've covered it all um we are going to be headed out to the National Urban League Conference whoop, whoop. down in, in Houston for a few days. Um, it'll be good to be with colleagues uh, from across the movement um, in my hometown of, of Houston, Texas. But uh, there will be a few folks from the league who are going to participate as well. And so so we, we hope to have a good time. But that means that we will not be with you all next week. Um, for for the release, but I know Sherilyn's got something special yes. cooking. Um, so you all will get an episode, but um, it won't be one of our traditional episodes. But we do plan to be back after that. Um, but by that time, that'll be right around the time that, that school will be starting. And so uh, I hope that all of our students are, are getting ready and geared up um, to head back into school as well as all our teachers and principals and uh, staff members um, you know we just we love you all for the work that you do um, and we want to continue
continuously partners in that work, not just as the Louisville Urban League, but as, pa as parents, as community members. Um, it truly, truly, truly does take a village um, to raise a child, and you all are a part of that village. Um, we need to be working together as parents. Please get out there, meet your kids, teachers, um, meet those principals, meet the counselors, um, get to know them, figure out how you all can work together to support your child um, as, as they, they start school and go through school. Um, there are tons of resources available through the school district, but also outside of the school district. Um, and so make sure that you, if you have a need, um, that you are communicating that need to somebody so that uh, folks can get you to the resources that you need so that your child can have the best year possible, obviously. Um, League is always here. There are resources that we can provide, there's support that we can provide. Um, our doors are always open. We're happy to do it. But I am claiming a great year JCPS for all of our students, teachers, administrators. It's going to be absolutely awesome. So um, if we don't talk to you uh, before then, good luck. Y'all post those first day of school pictures. Fly on the first day, um, smiles, and then let's try to keep let's try to keep those smiles going all throughout the school year. But, ladies and gentlemen, that is listen up the Louisville Urban League's radio show and podcast. Thank you again for joining us. I am Lyndon Pryor, interim president and CEO of the Louisville Urban League. It is my pleasure to join you every week. Um, thank you, Sherilyn Martin, for, for joining us. And see, you didn't even talk. You just had some. I ad said maybe um, twenty words. I don't think it was twenty, but thank you for all your work um, in making this happen. I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, thank you all for joining us. Please have a safe, safe week, and we will talk to you soon. Urban League's Kentuckiana Bills program is your introduction to the skills trades that lead to careers in construction, plumbing, electrical, carpentry, and HVAC. This six-week hands-on and technical education program provides training for job seekers to earn three national credentials, JCTC credit, all while connecting employers with a qualified, skilled workforce. This innovative partnership is funded by Kentuckiana Works and the Kentucky Education and Workforce Development Cabinet. For more information, visit lul.org backslash jobs. The Louisville Urban League wants to make sure that every student thrives academically. And to make that possible, the league is offering free intensive tutoring to JCPS students who qualify. Kindergarten through 12th grade students can receive expert help in reading, math, and ACT prep. Kids like me deserve every opportunity to succeed and to reach our greatest potential. Sign your student up today. To learn more, visit lul.org or call 502-585-4622.